Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we're going to talk about the podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. We're going to talk about the book, A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Moss and the series in which that comes in, the ACOTAR series. And then at the end, we're going to talk about things we just can't let go of this week. And we're going to start by talking about some tea. This is a Royal Blend by Fornum and Mason. And Shosh is going to tell you all about it because she has all the details. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So as Megan said, this is a royal blend. And that's why in my house, we call this the fancy tea. Mm-hmm. So we're drinking the fancy tea today. And just to give you a couple little fun tidbits. So this company started in 1707 and they have served every reign of the British monarchy since then. And the reason that this is the royal blend is because it was first blended for King Edward VII in the summer of 1902. So it really is fancy. Fancy and old. Old tea. But um, it also comes in beautiful packaging. Yes. Beautiful packaging. <laughs> it's my color. <laughs> yes. It's like a really nice kind of tealish color, tealy green with lovely designs on it. And part of the other reason why we call it the fancy tea is because it comes inside of an actual tin. So it's like individually packaged tea bags inside of a box, inside of a tin. (laughs) And the bottom of the tin says time for tea, which Mm -hmm. I just love. I love it too. So to be fair, this is just a black tea, a good one, Mm -hmm. but sort of like a standard black tea blend. And I drink it with milk and sugar as Mm -hmm. everybody should. (laughs) Well, I drink it with honey. (laughs) Weirdo. I know. I don't like milk and sugar. Well, it's black like tea. You're supposed to have milk and black tea. But I love it with honey. Okay, but my British is showing. <laughs> <laughs> and my American is showing. <laughs> but let's move on. <laughs> so this week, I listened to The Indicator from Planet Money pretty early on in the week. It was Monday or Tuesday. The Indicator is hosted by Cardiff Garcia and Stacey Vanek-Smith. The Indicator is usually, uh, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, and they just talk about a key number uh, or key thing that has occurred um, that day and what it means for economics in usually just the United States, but sometimes globally, if, if, if appropriate. But this episode was about a actually psychological experiment that was run and what they pulled from that, specifically for women as they advance in their careers. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, Josh, Josh, you have to listen to it. No, I mean, this isn't a podcast I normally listen to, but I very much enjoyed this episode. And like Megan, I was extremely interested once I heard it. And so I think you should just tell them what they found. Okay. It was, I think, a four-year experiment. They found a company that every four months or so changes up their leadership. And so they could easily study different gender pairings as well as promotions and when they occurred without having to manipulate anything. They could just let the company be the company and then just research the 
what they found. So they could find lots of supervisors that were male supervising other men or male supervisors supervising women. And then they could find women supervisors supervising men and women supervisors supervising women. They measured the amount of social time that everyone said they spent with their supervisees. And then they measured promotions. And what they found was that men supervisors socialize more often with their male supervisees more than any other pairing. So the men socialize less with their female supervisees and the women supervisees spread their time equally between their male and female supervisees. So super interesting there. Super interesting. Right? Uh, and then when you compare that to promotions, the people who got promoted the most were the men who had male supervisors. So promotion was correlated with the amount of social time you spent with your boss. And because the only group that ever spent any, like had the most time socializing was the men to men pairing, those are, that is the group that promoted most. Then they did this really interesting thing and they actually studied performance. <laughs> so they could study the performance of the supervisees as they promoted. And there was literally no better performance from those who were promoted. So literally the social interaction itself was the reason for the promotion, not a, a quality of work. Which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of things about this that are kind of crazy. Right? I have to say, one of the things that stood out to me the most was I found it so interesting that there was a difference in men who were supervising and the amount of time that they were spending with one group versus the other in comparison to women supervisors splitting their time equally. I found that to be super interesting because, you know, you could have easily thought, okay, well, women will spend more time with women, for example, but it wasn't the case. It was equal. So I found that to be really just fascinating. And then also the performance part, because it wouldn't necessarily make it right that men were getting promoted just because they had more face time with the boss who happened to be also a, a man. But if that had led to somehow improved performance because say they were spending more time talking about work or mm -hmm. that allowed them to know what the boss wanted more from the job. Mm -hmm. If there was some indication that spending more time with the boss actually elevated the work that they were doing, then that would make total sense. Again, it wouldn't make it, make it right because then it's an unfair advantage still to one group, but at least I could understand where they would favor them for promotions because you're like okay well you had an unfair advantage by knowing what the boss wanted but you were still ultimately providing a higher level of work or a more targeted product work mm -hmm. product right mm -hmm. so at least then I could understand that but it's literally just that they had more time so it's basically like you're promoting the people you like the most mm -hmm. and that's yeah. just not fair right <laughs> and they could they could mitigate that bias um, this is so cool by just putting the boss on a different floor 
And so then they couldn't socialize as much together or of course remote work. And that also creates a social distance. And then all that, that bias towards the socialized man disappears. Isn't that insane though, that just moving somebody to like another floor could make such a big difference? Mm-hmm. I mean, it does make sense if you know that it's the FaceTime together and like the socializing that's doing it because if you separate them out then obviously they're having less of that and therefore you mitigate this issue so I mean it makes sense on that level but I'm just saying isn't that sort of crazy that Mm -hmm. just by separating them out you completely get rid of the whole problem basically right it's amazing something so simple so simple and just really does go to show like that bias where the things that we are used to are the things we like more how strong is that bias? Because of course you're used to the guy who was hanging out with you in next to the water cooler talking about sports and TV and I don't even know what you talk about these days. Um, But of course you like them better. You're biased towards them. The other thing that mitigates this is promotion by committee. So it's not, you at least have to schmooze everybody and not just one person. (laughs) I mean, there's probably still some bias that can come through in that because especially if you were to have equal work product or performance from multiple candidates and then one of the people on it is the boss who spent all this time with the candidate who's like, okay, well, they're all equal, but like I'm vouching for this person and stuff. So I think some bias could probably still come through, but I think especially if there's a case where it's not 100% equal performance Mm -hmm. you could probably do away with that if you're doing it by committee Mm -hmm. because then you're going to be looking more at work product and you know your like productivity and how well you're doing in the role versus you know personality not that that wouldn't come into place because if you're promoting someone and you don't think that they could get along with a team or something that might you know personality could still (laughs) maybe play a role but I just mean it's not just going to be I'm going to pick my friends Mm -hmm. I was just so fascinated by this study Uh, and very interested also in there there was a question of like why do men literally socialize more at work than women they had some theories on that there wasn't anything specific they didn't there were no surveys done to ask Uh, they were wondering if maybe women just felt either a greater need to get the work done at work so they could rush home to be with their children and their family or if just that because more men are in charge the way in which men socialize gets more condoned than the way women socialize and so they just feel less less comfortable socializing I was gonna say I wonder if some of it has to do with women feeling like they you know have to try harder work harder produce more just to basically in the eyes of everybody else stay on the mm-hmm. same sort of level as men mm-hmm Because, I mean, obviously it depends on every situation, but often, you know, women will be looked at more critically or not taken as seriously Mm -hmm. or, you know, so on and so forth. Yes. And women are the ones (laughs) are known as being gossips, right? Exactly. Men gossips. Those men are the ones socializing. Right. But so I was going to say, I wonder if some of it too is that women don't feel like they have the ability sort of to Mm -hmm. waste time at work if you will and if therefore they're not getting the time 
you know, the time in with the boss because they feel like that will be looked at poorly as if they're wasting time or gossiping or whatever, whereas mm-hmm. the guys are just hanging out and they don't have to prove themselves the same way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or if a woman does try, then she will be like accused of trying as though that's somehow a bad thing. Right. So not fair. So not fair. Also, why is it that women split their time equally? Is it the same thing? Like the women boss in general aren't socializing as much. So they're just doing their job equally and only talking to people the amount that they need to for whatever the job is. And so therefore all of the time spent is equal. Or is it, I don't know, women are less biased so the women bosses actually spend equal amount of time you know hanging out and socializing but Mm -hmm. it's just that they don't mind if it's you know they're uh, the male employee versus the female employee Mm -hmm. I mean I don't know it's really interesting right I, I agree it's super interesting the only thing I can think of is so remember Mike Pence and his almost fear to be at a dinner with somebody who's not his wife yes if that's how you were raised then you don't socialize with women you only socialize with men because that's your safe area and the moment you hang out with a woman you're either internally or externally fearful of it looking like cheating something it shouldn't be yeah (laughs) I mean I hope that's not the case but I'm sure that at least for some people if you're like a Mike Pence, then maybe it would be, but I don't know. That also just feels gross. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a little insane. Like men and women can be friends and just friends doesn't have to be sexual in any way, shape or form. Um, (laughs) And men and women can work together. Yes. And women can do the jobs just as well as men can. (laughs) Yes, for sure. We shouldn't have to say that, but just for the record. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Women are capable. Mm -hmm. And they didn't tell us what they like defined as socializing, how they were measuring these things specifically. We just know that they were measuring them and that men socializing with men came out as the largest time off task, shall we say. But you know, it is really funny because you're saying like women are known as gossips or whatever. And I'm not saying that women don't talk at work or outside of work. I'm not saying that. Right. But it is funny that you say that because then when you hear this and start thinking about it, if you think back into some of your jobs, a hundred percent, like there are definitely a lot of guys that I can think about that spend way more time socializing than women. Oh yeah. For sure. And for me, gossiping. Like, I, like yes. the biggest gossips in my office are all men. I mean, I'm just thinking back through jobs. And like I said, mm-hmm. it's funny that, like you said, women are considered the gossips. But if I really think about it, I'm thinking of one guy at my uh, old job in particular. <laughs> right? He was definitely the biggest gossip. Yes. And all the girls on my team were always like, all right, come on, get to work now. Right. <laughs> we're on to you. <laughs> we know it's up. It's time to work. <laughs> yep. Oh. But that FaceTime with your boss is important. That if I take away anything from this, that's what I take away. Yeah. That's the positive side. Good and is. bad. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, it's it's something you kind of have always known. Like networking is known to be 
important and everyone's always like it's who you know and so kind of in a way those are all that's not anything new that's something that you know and something that we all kind of expect but then on the other hand you're like that's so frustrating (laughs) shouldn't it be based on merit and the job that you're doing Mm -hmm. and your work ethic and why can't my work speak for itself why do I have to write this evaluation every year where I have to remind myself of the amazing things I did this past year on the other hand it's hard to fault people though for having bias because like you said you kind of can't help it that you are drawn to certain people or that you do have relationships. So if you are a man making a decision on a promotion and you have two people who do have equal work, then if you have a friendship with one, even if you're trying to ignore that friendship, you're always going to tend to pick the person that you sort of know better, Mm -hmm. have a stronger connection to, especially if that means, if that promotion means working more closely with them. So in some ways it's hard to fault people for that, especially if it's an unconscious bias, which probably a lot of times it is. Most of them are, yeah. (laughs) But it's still really frustrating because you're like, it should just be whoever can do the job better. It shouldn't be whoever happens to be friends with Mm -hmm. the boss. Yep. So Shosh, tell us what you think of A Court of Silver Flames. Okay, I can do that. (laughs) So let's start by just telling everybody which books we're talking about. So this is a book series um, that we lovingly refer to as Akatar. And when we say that, we basically mean the entire series. It started off the main book series as a trilogy. So that's A Court of Thorns and Roses, which is where the Akatar comes from. A Court of Mist and Fury, and A Court of Wings and Ruin. And then there was also an add-on novella to that, which is A Court of Frost and Starlight. And then this book series is now expanding. So the first books are about all of the same characters throughout, but it focuses obviously as on two really main characters. And then now A Court of Silver Flames, which just came out, is a new book which still has all the cast of characters, but it has a focus on some of the um, still main but peripheral characters. And this whole series is by Sarah J. Moss, and she is definitely one of my favorite authors. Mm -hmm. I love her. Everything she she writes. For sure. She does not write short stories, though. So her no. novella is 272 pages. Really? Yes. I did not know that. It so, looks so small compared to the other books that I never, ever, ever would have guessed right, that. But because I the other books are like four and like 500 pages. <laughs> yes. I think the new one is like 700. I'm going to look. It could I'm be. I'm actually going to look because I think it's very, very long. Okay. I'm just saying, novella I don't, it's 757 pages. Yeah, A Court of Silver Flames. 750 pages. So that's how the novella is 272 and called a novella. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) I read that book and I was like, I mean, it's not her nor, it's not Sarah J. Moss's normal flow because it is short, but 272 pages is a normal book size. It looks so tiny compared to the other ones that I didn't even realize it was so long. So I should give you a little bit of a warning. This did not happen for me, but a lot of people who have read these books um, had a lot of trouble getting through the first one. 
I don't and they understand said that it, at all. I love I the un- first book, but I don't understand it okay, at all people. either. I, I easily read it and I flew through it, but it's very common. If you start looking at people online who have read these books, tons of people are like, the first one isn't very good, or I really struggled. And it wasn't until the second one that it really kicked in. I did not have this problem at all. It was totally fine for me. But if you're one of those crazy people who starts reading the first <laughs> one and feels like you're struggling to get through it, wait don't give up on it definitely keep reading because even those people love it once they get to the second yeah so the first book is is almost a retelling of beauty and the beast and then by book two pretty much all of that is forgotten and book two and three are really one super book because they're one story definitely worth all of them it's amazing so good and I think book two and three are also loosely based on other stories the same way that the first one is Beauty and the Beast but I don't remember which stories those are because they're not as common and well-known but even still if you didn't know that it wouldn't it wouldn't matter obviously it doesn't make a difference to the story that sort of story is wrapped up in the first books and then it's kind of like a new story with all the same characters in this next one. So A Court of Silver Flames just came out. And it's the story of, like I said, two of those still main characters, but side characters, Cassian and Nesta. And I have to say, I was super excited for this book because I wanted to be back in the world and back with these characters. But I was a little nervous about reading it because Nesta is probably my least favorite character of all of the characters. So I was really worried about reading this book because I thought I maybe wouldn't like it because it focused on her. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. I very much enjoyed this book. And... While I wouldn't say Nesta is now my favorite character, I do like her a lot more after this. I no longer sort of hate her character. Right? (laughs) And I have the exact same reticence to read it for the exact same reason. Nesta's trope, so to speak, is the like hard outer shell where you think there's probably a soft gooey middle, but we're not really sure. That hard outer shell, though, is never my favorite trope. I'm like, okay, so you get to be a jerk because you think you have reasons for being a jerk? Me. But Sarah J. Moss, she wrote me through it, so we speak, and now I love Nesta. It's fine. I know. I almost feel (laughs) weird liking her now, but I do. I can't help it. It's because Sarah J. Moss, she just, you can't not like her characters. It's Um, so true. And I also have trouble with that. Part of the reason why she was my least favorite character is because I just hate how she's just so mean to everybody. And I don't know, especially when people are trying to help her and she just want, you know, doesn't want to have it. She doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't want any part of it. And it's so frustrating because you want to be like, open your eyes. These people care about you and they're just trying to help you. And it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I really struggle with her because of that, because she so, was so cold and like yeah mean really (laughs) so but yeah Sarah J Moss she's amazing Mm -hmm. and she definitely won me over by the end absolutely yeah this is a book that does delve into some difficult psychological things depression for example but it does it so well and so humanely yeah, come out of it loving all the characters and just, I'm so ready for more. I want to know what's going to happen to 
the whole family, just everyone. I need to know. I know. And this book just came out, which means we're probably going to have to wait at least a year for the next one. She hasn't even officially told us who the next book's going to be about. I Rumors are flying. want it to be Asriel, but I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know. There's just so much. That's the thing, too. She could write so many books in this series because with all of the characters and the world, how she's created it, there is just so much room. So I I don't even know how many books she's planning. Well, I think currently she has a contract for, is it three books? Right. So the one we just finished and two more. And two more. And an untitled novella that I just learned is supposed to come out in September which is exciting because I didn't know about that. I know. <laughs> Can it, is it September yet? <laughs> yeah, September 1st is the expected publication date. Oh, that would be amazing. So another and 300 so, pages is coming our way. Say, and as we just discussed, that's practically a whole book. Because it is a whole book. <laughs> her, her books are not short. But that's the thing that's amazing too, because she really gets into everything. You never... I mean, even with the 750 pages, I still wanted more and didn't want it mm-hmm. to end. Yeah, it never felt laborious or anything. No, but it's not hard to get through. It's really easy to read. You always want more. And because she does have 750 pages, that means she can really tell the story. She doesn't have to like really gloss over anything or rush through anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yeah. We also just had amazing news this week which was leaked, although one of our friends um, questions if it was done on purpose. <laughs> I didn't feel that way, but she was suspicious. But either way, we learned that they're going to be making this series into a TV show. Yay! And the producer from uh, the Outlander TV show is the one who's going to do it. So I'm a little nervous because I love it so much, but I'm mostly just excited. Mm-hmm. And since she's involved in it, I feel like if she's heavily involved in it, it can't be bad. Right. Agreed. I'm super excited. I My only nervousness is that it's going to slow her down from writing. On books. writing. And I'm like, no, no, we're not. This is no George R.R. R. Martin. All right. No, Give you do not books. get to say that just because I'm working on an HBO TV show, which hers is for Hulu, but she, you know, filter that in. You do not get to say just because you're writing for Hulu that you don't get to write these next books books come before give us the books and give us the tv show (laughs) that's right we want it all (laughs) there's been a lot a lot a lot of discussion mostly about who they're going to cast for these characters and to be honest some of the people have been kind of mean about it Mm -hmm. and i'm a little bit worried about the casting more because i'm worried about what the fandom is going to do especially if they don't like who they pick but again it in my opinion, though, if Sarah J. Moss is playing a big role and she's heavily contributing to the casting and she signs off on them, then two things. One is I don't feel like it can be bad because everything she's, all of her books are so amazing that I don't think she would sign off on something she's not happy with. So if she's happy. I feel like I'll be happy. And then secondly, these are her characters. So if she sees them and feels like these, the castings are right then how can the fandom argue with it? I mean, it might not be what you imagined because everybody imagines, you know, the characters in their own mind, but I still feel like, I don't know, how can, how can you argue with that? Right. Yeah. I think the only argument I have heard that I appreciate so far, because 
everything right now is conjecture, but I appreciate those who are already trying to say, can we see diversity in the cast? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. I said that to you also. Yeah. I agree. I would love that. Yeah. But my favorite posting about it, and I don't remember any actors' names, so I'm not going to say those, but they like showed an actor for the main character, and then they showed the same actor with a different hairstyle for another one of the characters, and then the same actor with yet another hairstyle for a third of the characters. So it's going to be the <laughs> cheapest casting ever, because they can just hire one guy. He's got three different looks. <laughs> That's so funny. I thought it was hilarious. That is, I cannot wait to see who the cast is. I'm like pretty excited about it. I mean, I'm a little bit nervous because I love these characters so much. And I'm like, oh my God, who's it going to be? But um, I'm mostly just excited because I want to have more information come out about it so that I can just be more and more excited about the TV show coming. Although it's probably going to be like two years from now or something when it finally comes out because they're just now working on writing the scripts. Don't they know we're waiting and that we want it? That's the only bad thing about this information leaking. But I'm just excited. Give us the show. Give us the books. Yes. And this author you cannot go wrong with. So if you're looking for stuff to read, she has other series. The Throne of Glass series was her first series. Again, I didn't really have any trouble with it, but the she started these books when she was like 16 or 17 Mm -hmm. she was very young yes and you can tell that at the beginning of the series so if you do have trouble with the beginning couple books just keep going because her writing gets significantly better as she goes along because it was her first series and she started so young Mm -hmm. but worth reading in the middle couple books keep reading because that's where I had trouble first three books were (laughs) fine book four I was like oh my god I don't care yeah you got past that though we'll talk about these books another day and then Megan can fill you in on all of the reasons why she stopped reading but I'm saying it's worth it and then also her newest series is Crescent City Mm -hmm. and there's only one book out although technically according to online although I've heard a rumor that it might have gotten pushed back and I'm hoping that's not true especially because online it still says it's coming out but later mm-hmm. this year we are supposed to get book two yeah. so book two you... is supposed to come out for my birthday so she has to make yeah that. so we're supposed to get that in November so fingers crossed that's still happening but this author is definitely a winning author so read all of her books and we also didn't rate these yet but I think probably by us gushing you know that it's my first <laughs> Yes. With an exclamation point. And for those who are interested, her early work started out in the teen category, the young adult category, but we think really that's because of her age, not because of the age of the books. Most of the, most people would say that her earlier work should be in that like new teen category. They've created this like category kind of between young adult and adult that they think is like a little I bit remember what it's called now new age maybe it has the word mm. new in it I can't remember after new that. adult new adult there we go yeah, um, it's a new category yeah it hasn't quite caught on obviously um, but most of her books would fit into that category and then her recent books have they've just foregone the young part and they're just saying they're adult and there's a reason for that there are some chilies. there is a reason for that <laughs> yes 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 so wait we should we should tell everybody about our chili rating yes. yes about our chili rating tell them tell them so I can't actually take credit for this because I'm pretty sure well I know I heard it on an episode of what should I read 
Next, which is another podcast uh, that's hosted by a, a book reviewer. And she has people on to talk about what books they should read next. And that one of the people she brought on talked about in their book club, they have a chili rating. So it's how spicy, how steamy, how sexually explicit is a book. Five chilies, oh, ow. <laughs> not want people around you hearing what you are listening to. You probably shouldn't listen to it at work. Four chilies, still pretty spicy. Three chilies, you know, we're getting there. Two chilies, pretty tame. One chili, you're fine. So we have, I have adopted the chili rating with Shoshana and we, uh, now talk about how many chilies there are. <laughs> Although often, to be fair, we don't actually usually rate them. We just say there are chilies. Yes. <laughs> or where are the chilies? Or why are they not giving us chilies? Or there are lots of chilies. We yes. just talk about chilies in general most of the time. Very true. But yes. These um, books have been moved to the adult category because there are chilies. Yes. So just you've been warned for those who, <laughs> who need that warning. But five stars right. for sure exclamation point mm -hmm. so shosh what is it you can't let go of this week okay so the thing that i can't let go of is from an episode of last week tonight which p.s i love that show and i love john oliver but they did an episode that had to do with plastics and recycling and in it there was a little tidbit of information that just blew my mind so what he told me was that people are ingesting a credit card's worth of plastic every week. Now, back so to swallowing bottle caps, people. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> to backtrack back a little bit, it's not news to me that people are ingesting plastic. I know more than the average person about microplastics and how they're making their way into the food chain and the fact that we're ingesting plastic. The thing that I can't let go of is that I've never had an amount or at least not in a way that I can like so visualize. Yeah, that I can like visualize it so easily. So to think of literally a credit card per week, I just can't. I just... What is happening? Mm -hmm. That is a lot of plastic. And mm -hmm. there are so, so, so many reasons why that is bad. Right. The chemicals and I in will... the plastic that are leaking into your body. Ugh. Yeah. Well, and microplastics attract heavy metals and chemicals and things. So it's more than even just the plastics itself. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try not to go on a huge mega rant about this because I totally could go on and on and on for days about the downsides of plastics guys, and, and <laughs> microplastics and I'm just going to focus on the craziness of a credit card worth of plastic mm -hmm. could you ever imagine that a credit card worth of plastic per week I get the same feeling when I hear that that I also feel when I hear that you that like human beings swallow I think on average like seven spiders a year that, right which is gross, gross. <laughs> like, that's the thing like that's the feeling like that much plastic is like in my body right now like my body's working to like flush that out. It, it's and like I my smell receptors are smelling that right now. <laughs> Foreign. Foreign. <laughs> get the danger. Out, get danger. <laughs> um, I don't want to swallow spiders or plastic. Right. Did he say anything about like if you eat more organic foods? Like, is organic farming 
less likely to have plastics or he anything? didn't go into the specifics of what you're eating um like which things would have more microplastics but the problem is is that you can even have microplastics in your water i think mm-hmm. so i don't I'm not sure that it really makes a difference because they're coming at you from so many different places so possibly yeah. if you're drinking filtered water possibly i know for example you get a lot of microplastics in seafood there's a because they make it into the the ocean ocean. and it right it it builds up and accumulates you know from smallest level all the way up to then when you're eating it (laughs) adjusting you know taking in the food so I know that there are certain places where it's probably is more prevalent but this was more of just a mention it didn't go it wasn't on it was more the episode was more on the specifics of recycling especially the difference between personal recycling versus what we really need which is like companies to be changing their practices Mm -hmm. so it was more focused on that and the fact that well hopefully this isn't news to everybody personal recycling isn't actually that great and a lot of stuff is not really getting recycled or used so which is unfortunate and I'm not saying you shouldn't recycle you definitely should still recycle and make the effort but it was focused more on showing that personal recycling isn't actually as good as what they lead you to believe and that what we really need is the more widespread full-on change from companies and more oversight Mm -hmm. like on a basically like higher up level Mm -hmm. so it did not go into the specifics but I think that's so that's probably just an average Mm -hmm. so depending on what you're drinking and eating I'm sure that that could vary but still on average a credit card worth of plastic per week Mm. that is a lot that's so scary so scary and it's gonna keep getting worse i mean by 2050 there's gonna be more plastic in the ocean than fish all right well so my heart just stopped at that piece of information (laughs) like i'm like i don't i'm done i'm out i mean what do you say to that i mean i don't know it's really tough especially because It's hard to blame industry in the sense that it is cheaper and easier to make new plastic than it is to recycle and reuse plastic. So when people are trying to survive and make money and that is your goal, it's hard to fault them. But it's also so frustrating because, you know, we live in a world where everything is easy, convenient, fast, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't, you can't get away from it. It's plastic is a great it's a great material. It's just that we're using too much of it and it's difficult to reuse. Yeah, that's so interesting. Randomly, I was reading my Avion bottle yesterday because I was at the office and so I bought like one of the bigger size bottles of them. And Avion promises to use 100% recyclables by 2025. Well, that's excellent. They're already carbon neutral, which I thought was interesting. Well, That is amazing. And I hope for all of our sake that Evian sticks to that and is trustworthy because also in the episode from John Oliver, they were talking about some companies like Coca-Cola, who apparently for years and years continue to make claims that they will basically better themselves by using certain percentages of recycled plastic or different things. They keep continually setting goals and saying by this year, and making themselves look really good, <laughs> but then they passes. never actually follow through. Hey. And then they just make a new claim. Yeah. And then it never happens. And no one, 
no one even notices because, you know, they made that claim and then no one ever checks up on it. And so, I don't know, it's hard to know which companies you can trust. Right. Well, that's frustrating, particularly because the cans, it's actually cheaper and easier to recycle those cans than it is to make new cans. So they better be recycling those because it's like financially better for them. It is so frustrating because if you look at like things have changed over time obviously they used to use glass bottles and they used to use a lot more cans and now so many people want plastic bottles and while I do understand the appeal because especially if you want to be able to like throw it in your bag and take it somewhere it is super nice to have a lid I also think that we could adapt and it is so it's really frustrating because like I said right now everything is based on like single use it's all about you know comfort and quick and fast and convenient like convenient in particular Mm -hmm. and there's no thought past that Mm -hmm. because while I prefer a plastic bottle a glass bottle would be a lot heavier Mm -hmm. I'm sure they could come up with some kind of lid for a glass bottle you cannot tell me that we do not have someone who can be you know who can innovate a new lid for a glass bottle or for a can or for a can right or a million other things. Also, like, I'm pretty sure I heard or read somewhere that plastic bottles, like Coke bottles and stuff, don't actually need to be as thick as they are. It's just there's never been any regulation. So they can actually reduce the amount of plastic. Same with, like, some different bags and other things. Oh, yeah. There's So they use more plastic than they need to because there's never any reason not to and Mm -hmm. plastic is cheap. So while it might be nice to have a super sturdy plastic bottle, especially if you're using it once, it would probably be okay if it wasn't quite as thick. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways we could be reducing plastic and nobody's doing it because they don't have to. I mean, some people are. That's wrong to say that no one is doing anything. But I'm just saying as a whole, globally, we should be forcing people. And that's the thing too why are we just relying on companies to do it we should be you know governments around the world should be mandating it and then everybody has to follow the same rules and there's no question it's not just which company happens to decide that they're going to care about the earth and maybe Mm -hmm. lose a little off the bottom the bottom line Mm -hmm. should be everybody has equal Mm -hmm. equal stakes come on man we all live on earth megan what can you not let go of this week? Well, I can't let go of something I heard. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but it was again on No Stupid Questions, and it was again in the fact check at the end. <laughs> and what they said in the fact check is, it turns out that our tastes are developed in utero. So we think that what mother eats during the nine months of pregnancy highly affects what the child their taste preferences are which I just found fascinating in large part because I love like tangy sour citrusy things and my mom will tell you that the only thing she ate for nine months while she was pregnant with me is an orange. And she thought oranges were the best thing she'd ever tasted on the planet. Like there's all these stories about how many orange slices my dad had to taste because she would gush about how good the orange was and make him taste it. And he'd be like, 
yep it's an orange it's an orange <laughs> but I, I can totally see your dad right? doing that <laughs> it's an right? orange yep every time he was like yeah it still tastes like an orange that that's I'm I'm you can have the rest of that honey <laughs> it's great and I, but I love like salty tangy sour things and that just totally makes sense see I had the same sort of thing happen because I also thought this was amazing Megan and I had been discussing this already and then I was having a conversation with my mom not about this and she happened to tell me that when she was pregnant with me she couldn't get enough barbecue and barbecue is like an addiction for me. <laughs> Josh loves barbecue sauce. <laughs> I love barbecue. I eat a lot of barbecue sauce, barbecue flavored things. And when she said that, I was like, wait, what? And she was like, I think I've told you that before. And I argued that she hadn't, but to be fair, she may have, and it just never clicked <laughs> because I wasn't thinking about this right. episode or like how it, you know, would relate How to me whereas yeah whereas this time I was like hold up wait a second and then I had to tell her all about how apparently tastes begin to develop in utero and I couldn't believe it and I was like this is crazy now there's two things about this though one is I found this to be really crazy because I would have thought that what the mom was eating obviously affects the baby but more in terms of nutrients right. so I was really blown away that the taste would have any effect at all. So mm -hmm. I found that to be just mind blowing, really. Mm -hmm. The other thing is it's so crazy because I would have thought that your taste would be more affected by the actual food you were eating in your household. So for example, like if my mom likes barbecue and then she gave me things with barbecue, I would have thought that maybe that was why I would like barbecue, for example. So it's really crazy to think that while that may be true, because obviously my mom likes barbecue sauce, right? It's super crazy to think that it actually could have started before I was even born. Mm -hmm. Like my, my tastes could have been maybe not predetermined because obviously I think that, you know, what you're exposed to and what, you know, the different things you try as you grow up, obviously your taste can change and you can like lots of different things, but still mm -hmm. the fact that that could have been, I mean, before I was even born, my taste could have been like partially like predetermined or predestined. It was like, I was like destined to like barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. I, that's why I love it is that so many women have stories about, have pregnancy stories. What did they, what were, what were they craving? What were they eating? What were, what could, what could they not eat? And it's very rare, like one-to-one, -one, like, oh, I couldn't eat hamburger. And so my child hates hamburger. Like that's not, it's not usually that directly correlated, but to think that those things that you craved had an impact on your child. And then of course we don't know, is the child also impacting the mom in the sense of like, is Ooh. the child, like, is there a certain amount of taste palette that develops that helps the mom want sweet things? That, help, that makes the mom crave salty things, that makes the mom crave bitter, you know, I don't know, but. Interesting. Right? That's just, an interesting thought. I never thought about it going the other way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Might have to do some research on this. I just, I'm totally fascinated though, like whether or not mom affects the baby, baby affects the mom, both, 
but that taste is developing that early. It's crazy. Yeah. Just amazing. Podcasts teach us a lot of really crazy things. Right. Our organs are smelling. <laughs> Babies are <laughs> developing Tasting. tastes before they're born. <laughs> like, what is happening in this world? It is a crazy place. It's amazing any of us survive. Because we're eating it's plastic. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> we're eating plastic. Well, Shosh, I think we made it through another episode. I think you're right. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'll talk to you next week. One of these days, we're going to do a whole show, and I'll have forgotten to hit the record button. You know, it's going to happen. That is a very scary thought. Can you imagine? It's going to be like our favorite episode, too. And then you're going to, then we're going to have to decide, do you try to re-record it knowing that you can't actually recreate the same thing and that you've already had this conversation or do you scrap it and just cry about it?